Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. The unity of the body of Christ in the midst of all of the divisions. So the one who, um, in whom we are reconciled to God, Jesus Christ, whose body is broken in order that we who are broken might be made whole. Jesus is, in fact, the unifying reality. So I want you to just consider how it is that you and I are in Christ and therefore one with each other and one with every other Christian believer of every time and place. It is literally the communion of the saints in common union with one another because of Christ. The unity of the body of Christ in the midst of all of the divisions raging around us in the world. And so we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Um, That is true truth. And yet, we recognize there are lots of divisions among Christians today. Lots of divisions among churches today. So I'm going to encourage you to read um, John 17 today as a as an opportunity to be reminded of Jesus's prayer for us as his followers. Jesus has prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, that the world would know we are Christians, that we are his followers by the love we demonstrate, by the love we have for one another. So in the midst of headline news related to the United Methodist Church, a quarter of whose congregations have uh, departed the Um, the UMC to become a part of a global fellowship of Methodists um, who are going to retain standards of leadership um, and sexuality and marriage that are biblical, leaving a denomination that has embraced a a sexual um, and gender identity ethic that is not biblical. So a quarter of the United Methodist churches have left. I don't, and it's, and, and, and yet it's getting almost no it's getting almost no um coverage at least in the national media. It may be getting big coverage where you are locally because a big United Methodist Church may have um voted to become a part of the Global Methodist group. So um lots of denominations. Um certainly we have seen this um realignment among Um, Those who were once Episcopalian and are now Anglican, those who were once in the Presbyterian Church USA and are now in either the Presbyterian Church of America or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church or ECO, a covenant order of Evangelical Presbyterians, on and on and on. Um, These realignments and reorganizations have certainly taken place among the Lutherans, and so you may may uh, be—your congregation may once have been a part of the 
ELCA and then at the point in time when that denomination departed from um, the biblical definition of man and woman and the the biblical design for marriage between one man and a woman um, departed from the standard of chastity and singleness. I mean, on and on and on. Your your congregation may have departed from the ELCA and is now aligned with one of a variety of Lutheran expressions of faithful, um, deni- you know, a denomination that's faithful. So divisions or disagreements or differences among Christians, among Christ followers, is nothing new, right? Um, in fact, we read about it in 1 Corinthians, and I think that the challenge that's posed to us in every generation, the challenge that's posed is, you know, are there righteous divisions? Like, are there reasons to depart from one another when there's, like, legit heresy? And I would say yes, absolutely. It's those divisions among us um, where we're cutting each other up because of cults of personality, um, where there's various groups rallying behind um, certain leaders or even certain um, understandings of a particular point of theology, where I don't think it's helpful. I don't think that, you know, the, the Calvinists and the, Ar- and, and, and the Arminians um, cutting each other up in public is, <laughs> is particularly helpful. Um, there is no... I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas. No, there is, I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. And in Christ, if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, then we are yoked to each other. I'm yoked to Christ, you're yoked to Christ, guess what? We're yoked to each other. Um, and if we're focused on where he's going and what he's doing, and we're yoked to him, then we're going to find ourselves in league with one another, pulling in the same direction, instead of pulling each other apart. So imagine for a moment that the Apostle Paul were here today writing a letter to your church or to my church. What divisions would he identify among us? And how would we receive the rebuke of of Paul? There's not supposed to be any cults of personality, no divisions among us as believers that have nothing to do with the truth of the gospel. They're they're not first-order issues. So can you pray with a person with whom you you have profound denominational disagreement, okay? Can you pray with them the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. Our Father. Can you pray the Our Father with that other person? Can you say together what you believe using the Apostles' Creed? Can you say it together? Can you find the points of commonality instead of constantly focusing on the differences? Are you both in Christ? Is the Spirit of the living God living in you? Can you find fellowship with one another, the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace? If they preach Christ and Him crucified, may they freely win a witness among people that you and I might never have access to or who would ever be interested in listening to us. Indeed, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. I want to celebrate the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace we enjoy in Jesus, and I want to fan the flame of some John 17 unity among us as Christians in the culture today. Could you join me in that? Our friend and brother, Dr. Brett Nix, is going to join us next from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, that thermostat setting in your house. Yeah, 
what is your thermostat set at right now? And for those of you wondering, is glucose the new gluten? Yep, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, our brother, Dr. Brett Nix, is here today. You can find him at brettnixmd.com. Good morning, Brett. Hey, Carmen. Good morning. I tell you, I love the uh, interlude just before this regarding the creed and how important that is, regardless of uh, denomination. There's something powerful in that. Mm. Anita's uh, thermostat is set at 65. Paul's is at 63. Mine is at uh, 66 in the bedroom, but probably 68 in the rest of the house. Talk with us about our thermostat settings. Well, I tell you, there's a lot to be said about thermostat settings. So number one, what you will find is everybody has something that they perceive to be comfortable so that they're warm when they sleep at night or otherwise. And when you look at the literature, the cooler actually, the more the, the more likely that you're going to sleep well. However, when we talk about COVID, we talk about the other processes. There's something that is for those who have central heating, central air of any type of variety. One thing that we typically have is a setting where you can turn instead of uh, your fan on auto where it cycles on and off. You can place it on continuous. You turn it to on. Many homes have filtration systems, and that picks up particles and fibers and things along those lines. But again, as you would imagine, I think this is kind of a, what I consider to be a common sense thought process is, hey, if you've got viruses in your house, whether that be the flu, COVID, or otherwise, those things can not just be you know, in the air, but can also attach to just dust particles and things in your house. But if you have your cycle on, it will continue to cycle forward. Why does that make sense? We go outside. God created this forest. We walk outside. Viruses are diluted across the atmosphere. You've got the sun that has UV properties and other types of things to keep us safe when we're outside. But by making that simple change during the winter season, when we spend more time inside where it's cold and and if you are many, many times people come together, especially over the holidays, that's why we see these viral spreads happen so much. So a simple thing you can do, switch over your, your unit uh, to have your fan running continuously and you're probably going to find the uh, the likelihood of those viruses going down. All right. So um, I appreciated that, you know, it, it's not necessarily quite about a temperature setting. Uh, it's about turning the fan setting to the on position. Um, I also think, you know, if you haven't done so recently, change your filter, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You seem so basic. Um, while you're at that, put new batteries in your smoke detectors. Um Let's talk about glucose. Is glucose the new gluten? Well, you may think about this. We, te- we, we tend in general, especially in the American society, to focus on different trends when it comes to uh, our oral intake, our dietary habits. And so many follow, you know, these different types of trends. And one of the more recent ones you'll hear is this thing called the glucose goddess method. And for those who are not familiar what it is, it's a, an individual who is a, a bio researcher who's looked at different types of things and said, hey, is there enough information out here that if we change how we approach uh, around glucose and we normalize, we don't have spikes of sugar in our body, might we actually feel a whole lot better? And so what's interesting about you know the things we know about glucose, that is what our body uses for energy. So we bring it into our body, our body uses it, and that's what we do. When you're going out exercising, if you're going at a relatively low rate, your body uses glucose and burns it and goes through a normal process. When you get to a high rate of speed or otherwise, we get into different types of metabolism, and we won't spend time talking about that today. But the average individual, they say, hey, if you eat healthy, 
the stuff we've talked about before, Carmen, about what is a healthy diet? It is the first fruits. It is eating healthy. It is not processed foods. If you navigate eating those types of things, in general, you will not have significant spikes in your glucose and your body normalizes that. I want people to think for their for a moment their favorite candy, whatever that is. If you go to the fair and you're you're divulging into this type of process or whatever that may be, maybe you sit down and it's a box of hot tamales and you eat the entire thing and you feel fine at first, and then the next half an hour you feel miserable. Well, that's because you had a you had a sugar really high spike and it drops quickly. Well, when you look at the glucose goddess method and others that are out there, yes, it's a bit of a fad process. And there's not a lot of literature out there, but what we know to be true is simply this. The simple things matter most. Number one, when you wake up in the morning, what does breakfast look like for you? If it is mm. something that has protein, maybe a little bit of fat, but something that has substance to it, you are going to have a dramatically different day. You're going to snack less. You're going to to, to not crave sugary treats as much. And in these processes, what you'll find is you are living much more healthy. The glucose goddess method also talks about, hey, if you uh, have a little bit of um, apple cider vinegar or some type of vinegar right before you eat, you're going to minimize the likelihood of having a significant spike related to your sugars of your intake. Or maybe there's a way of having this each day such that you decrease inflammation in your stomach. And most of those things, when you look at the studies specific to it, very small. We're talking 25 to 50 people in these studies. And some of them have a inkling of, hey, this may have a positive process, but very, very limited research as it relates to it. And we find that to be true whenever we look at dietary related issues. Mm. Um, all right. So uh, one of the things when we talk about breakfast that I think sometimes people forget is we are actually breaking a fast. Like that's what breakfast is. You're breaking a fast. Could we just, could you just remind us, because fasting is another conversation that comes up fairly frequently, um, particularly this time of year as we are, we're approaching Lent, the season of Lent, and people are going to be talking about some kind of fast. And, you know, they're going to talk about the Daniel fast. They may talk about the Ezekiel fast. I mean, there's just all kinds of things going on out there. So um, can you just, hit on that briefly. Breakfast means I'm breaking a fast. How long should I be fasting? Or if I am thinking about entering into a fast of some kind, do you have any thoughts just to pop to your mind on that? Absolutely. So keep in mind, um, God created our bodies to fast. So let that sink in for just a second. Your body was created to fast. And what that means is um, if you have dinner, let's say you have a normal dinner, let's say you eat at eight o'clock or six o'clock. Maybe your normal normal time is that. If you don't eat again until breakfast, unless breakfast is the same, 12 hours later, what that does is we talked about the thermostat when we first started out with temperature. This is a thermostat to regulate your insulin levels, but also allows your body to go through a resetting process. What we know to be absolutely true, when we look at, and there's a book called The Obesity Code that spends a significant amount of time looking at this. Do you have enough time in your fasting to let your basal or insulin rate uh, level come down to normal. Insulin is what regulates how your glucose is used. So it ties right back in very clearly with the glucose concepts. What you find is if you fast at 12 hours, you're allowing that insulin level to come down. People that have diabetes, especially type 2, struggle with this because the medications they take, typically, although the newer ones are changing, have raised insulin levels continuously. And so their bodies struggle with this. But if you and I, 12 hours, 16 hours, if you, if you choose, you're allowing that process. Now, recognize that is how the body 
normalizes itself. We also know fasting has a spiritual aspect to it, which is this is the time where I reflect and spend time in communication with God. It allows my mental, my spiritual process to also recalibrate and to refocus. And so if we can see it as such, it is incredibly powerful. I will add, however, that every day, if you eat at a normal time and don't eat late at night and you go through a 12-hour fasting, that is incredibly helpful. I do recommend, however, that you find a way to at least get to 16 hours, if that means on a weekend. And if you're capable to do a 24-hour fast, uh, if you can, at least once a week. Again, it's also an opportunity for you to spend time and to uh, engage in, your, in the spiritual aspect of your health, uh, which is incredibly important. And it also will bring great value to your body as far as resetting your insulin level uh, and allowing you to go ahead and navigate what it is your body needs. Uh, fasting is incredibly valued, and I think it's something that we don't see commonly enough uh, in our normal dietary process. That's so good. I'm so glad I asked. All right, we're going to um, take a very brief break. When we come back, Dr. Brett Nix and I are going to continue uh, the conversation. There's some really exciting news about a gene therapy that has restored hearing for uh, a child born deaf. We're also going to talk about um, anti-aging um, and maybe what's on the horizon in terms of revolutionary cell therapies. That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. Jesus loves the little children. You guys know that. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are little children in the world who need Jesus. They also need things like basic food and medical care. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, the little ones, we do for him. So this is your time to become the champion of one child, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope, and you work together with people who are on the ground to change the families, the communities, the future. You might not feel like you could change the world, but you can for one child. Meet the kids and find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, uh, we're going to go to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and check in what's, with what's happening there. Dr. Brett Nix is here from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Brett, this is, this is really pretty extraordinary, gene therapy. You know, it is. It's a, it's a challenging situation. Imagine being a child uh, in a family, and your child is born, and you're trying to figure out something that's unique about them, and you realize that in that process that they can't hear. And the, these children that are born deaf many times will go through surgical processes where the small little uh, components of our ear that vibrate up against the eardrum, uh, the cochlea and some of the others, they'll go through a cochlear implant. And that's the ability to go in and try to, to create an opportunity to hear and to do some sound uh, adjustments for them. Because, again, the ability to hear impacts the ability to speak and so many other things as it relates to it. Uh, there's a study ongoing right now. It's a uh, started back in 2022, and they took different participants at young ages. These are you know children of ages one through six or seven, and they put them through this trial therapy where they look specifically at a gene, uh, the odorofilarin gene, and this gene specifically. What they found is that there's a component of this where they go inside around the area where the eardrum is, and they basically place this gene therapy right over uh, the area of the inner ear because what they recognize is, hey, in this specific population, the gene um, or the, uh, the process in the body when it was being developed that allows that nerve to directly communicate with the brain so that the, the, the vibrations of your eardrum transmit to your brain and your brain recognizes that as sound. 
there's something in that nerve that is not functioning. And they created a gene therapy where they go in and they basically place over that nerve area uh, this therapy. And in some of these young individuals, they've actually started to have the ability to heat, to start to hear. So it's as if they're going in and the body is saying, hey, I didn't have the right signal before, but now with this gene therapy, I'm having the right signal again. And now I'm starting to transmit sound. Not all of them have had success, but some of them are so successful that they're actually able to not only turn off the cochlear implant that they have that allows them to hear in part, but to, to be able to speak on the phone. And that allows them to actually then not only to be able to hear, but to speak to a greater degree. So here they are now hearing for the first time and now developing speech capacity because of it, which is tremendous. So much more to come on this. Again, very, very small study, but very interesting focus when you're starting to look at the ability to impact gene therapy. Yeah, especially when we're talking about like one in every 500 kids doesn't necessarily have this particular um, uh, related hearing loss that's genetic, but they've got some form. And so there's, I think there's a lot of good news on the horizon there. Hey, every single right. one of us is getting getting older. I don't know if you've noticed that. <clears throat> I have noticed that. Um, what What is this, um, you know, I, I, hear, I hear all kinds of anti-aging elixir ads um, all the time. But there may actually be one on the horizon that's worth worth um, paying attention to. So, I, yeah, I don't know that this is the fountain of youth that people are looking for, but <laughs> Americans and people across the globe spend a tremendous amount of money on things to either make themselves look younger or, in theory, to slow down this aging process. This whole anti-aging movement is tremendous right now. And researchers in New York have this new therapy that looks specifically at immune cells. Now, recognize as we get older, uh, the ability in our immunity and the ability even with uh, allergen responses and things like that. You ever notice that as you get older, you start having issues as far as allergies. You weren't allergic to poison ivy, now you are. You weren't allergic to certain things, and now you're having seasonal issues that you didn't because our bodies change. And with that change, what we've recognized are a couple of things. For those who have heard about uh, cold plunges, you may have heard about these things called zombie cells. They're also known as senescent cells. They are immune cells that have aged in our body, and they don't do anything. They just kind of hang out. The problem is when things aren't active in our body, many times they create problems. And these senescent cells cause inflammation. They cause irritation. And they're also targeted in general to be related to what our aging process and what speeds up our aging process. And so when they're looking at this immune therapy, they're starting to say, hey, how do I address these cells? Is there something specific that we can do to initiate a therapy this therapy that they're looking at, basically they're called CAR or CAR T-cells. And T-cells are part of our immune system and our response system. They found a specific target protein, again, getting into great detail, that specifically with a single dose over time starts to decrease these senescent or these zombie cells. And what that does then is it is decreasing an inflammatory response. And what they're saying they believe to be true is that this will actually, because those cells are what are, are believed to be associated with advanced aging and what speeds up our aging process. If we're eliminating these dysfunctional cells in our body, then perhaps that will slow down our aging process. What are we talking about? We're talking about things like dementia. We're talking about things related to uh, the functional capacity that we have, the ability for our immune system to stay strong throughout our entire lives. Very early on, anytime we see something like that, the question is, and then what? Which is a, we start this process to make sure that it works but we want to make sure that it also is not causing any harm. It's very interesting, but again, it could potentially reduce issues specifically uh, to aging, uh, especially those who start having issues with immune process issues downstream. 
Yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. Okay, you keep your eye on that. Okay, we'll uh, we'll trust you. I will. To, uh, yeah. So um, let's uh, let's end with this. <clears throat> what is micro dosing in terms of movement? So that is a great question. So here, let's let's talk about micro dosing. What people end up seeing is this: Hey, <laughs> how many of us now with our jobs sit at a desk and do work? When COVID came around, everything went virtual, and so you're sitting at home. But for how long? Mm-hmm. How long are you sitting at your desk? I want you to think about those who might have children right now. Maybe you have kids that are in elementary school. How many of them do you realize are in class for the duration they are go crazy? They can't sit still. And so instead they have those rubber bands that they're allowed to tie between the legs of their desk so they can bounce their feet the whole time so they can actually pay attention. Well, maybe you should consider the same. And what I mean by that is micro movements are simply this. We recognize that you may get up in the morning and you may get up and have tremendous exercise. You're working out. You got your 30 minutes breaking a great sweat. You have your savory breakfast like we just talked about with some protein fat, perfect morning smoothie, all fresh things. But then you go sit at your desk all day. You really aren't gaining anything. And what we mean by that is really the studies that are out there suggest that if you are sitting for longer than 30 minutes, maybe 60 minutes at the maximum, and you do not get up and move, even for a short amount of time, stand up, stretch, walk around, go to the restroom, you know, whatever your office space may have. If you're at home, you know, go around your house for a few, a few moments. You need to do that. Uh, there's a significant amount of literature that's out there that our sedentary lifestyle, even if you're exercising by sitting at a desk over the duration of the day, hour after hour after hour, not only is bad for your mind, but it is bad for your body. Yeah, and if you drink a lot of water, then your body has this like natural need to get up and walk around. So I advocate that <laughs> as a way <laughs> to uh, promote microdosing movement, um, start drinking more water, and you'll just you'll just find yourself needing to get up and move more often. There you go, um, Brett. That's um, that is so helpful. Thank you so much as always for being with us today. Ah, my pleasure, Carmen. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you soon. Likewise, you can connect with Dr. Brett Nix at brettnixmd.com. You can also find great resources at CMDA. That's the Christian Medical and Dental Association. CMDA. Org. You are uh, listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, we're going to talk about um, what it means to come and see and how we can get more people to come and see. Now, if you're a Christian, you recognize that those are the words of Jesus. Hey, come and see. And then those are the words that are often extended by Christians to others. Hey, come and see. Come, come and meet the man who told me everything I've ever done, said the woman at the well. Um, Stan Jantz is going to join us next. He is the CEO of the Come and See Foundation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Are you a fan of The Chosen? Um, Are you looking forward to the release of um, the beginning of the next season? Stan Jantz is here. He is CEO of the Come and See Foundation. They're making sure that The Chosen um, is going to be translated and available for people around the world. So maybe you're in Michigan or you're in Minneapolis, but what about people in Madagascar? Um, Don't they deserve to encounter Jesus through this incredible ministry of The Chosen? Stan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. So nice to be with you this morning. All right, so let's start with what does it mean to you that everybody gets an invitation to come and see? Well, it means that people have a chance to experience the authentic Jesus. And by that, I mean the Jesus that's portrayed in the Bible. 
And The Chosen is a, as you said, a multi-season TV show. And it's very exciting because uh, this week on February 1st, it opens in theaters nationwide. So people have a chance to see season four. So those that have been watching through three seasons, uh, season four is about to open. So it's exciting for this. And it's, and it's again, we're talking about here in the West and the U.S. and, and Canada's opening. But our goal at Come and See is to, as you said, through translation to make sure that uh, eventually 95% of the world will be able to experience Jesus through the chosen. And we're very excited about that. And that's at the heart of our mission. That is just so exciting. For those of you that maybe aren't getting that biblical reference, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And he says, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, the one that the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. Nazareth, says uh, says Nathaniel. Can anything good come up from there? Philip says, come and see. So there are a lot of um, naysayers and skeptics in our culture today. Um, we are the people who are um, charged with inviting people to come and see. Come, come and meet the one um, who has changed our lives. And The Chosen gives us an opportunity, a vehicle through which to do that uh, in, in the culture in which we live. But The Chosen is only made accessible to people in the rest of the world through the work of organizations um, like Come and See. So we're talking about the Come and See Foundation. You can check it out at comeandseefoundation.org. Um, I want to talk with you, Stan, about this this language of the authentic Jesus. It's one thing to... Um, be preaching Jesus. It's another thing to be clarifying that the Jesus that we're sharing is the authentic Jesus. Can you focus in a little more on that? Like, what does that mean? Um, and, and, and sort of like, how are you, how do you feel like you're ensuring that? Yeah, thank you. So Come and See was, was established for, for three purposes. And the first one, as you said, is translation, but also we, our, um, making sure that all seven seasons are completed. And so we, we raise money also for production. Uh, there's, as I said, season four is about to open, but there's still then uh, three more to go after that. And then uh, thirdly, we distribute and make sure that the entire world can see it. So um, one of the things too is they can see it for free. So if you download the Chosen app anywhere in the world, you can watch the episodes for free. And season four will be available in the app after the theatrical release, so sometime probably in, in March. But but the, as you said, the, the heart of this is the translation, and here's the deal. So people watching on their phone, if they don't see it in there or hear it and experience it in their translation, they're missing this point of Jesus as portrayed in the Bible. And the the, the entire process of how the scripts are done, and there are, there are three writers, including Dallas Jenkins, who is the director and the originator of The Chosen, to remain biblically faithful. So the Bible is the guidebook. That is the playbook by which all these scripts are written. And then there are uh, stories about the, the, the Chosen, those that follow Jesus. And so the authenticity of that is we see the Jesus of the Bible, but also we see these interactions he's having with his followers. And that authenticity is goes to really the heart of kind of the humanity of Jesus. And I think this is something that we really haven't seen or experienced in any kind of media portrayal. And what we're finding from people around the world is that they are relating to Jesus in a way that brings him close, brings him near, brings him close to their heart. And while not straying at all from the biblical account. So 
that's that that's the authenticity that we're looking for when something's authentic it's real how do we experience the real jesus and he's not just uh, someone on a page or someone in history he is real living and active in the world today uh and he comes into our hearts through the holy spirit so that's that's what we are trying to do is to to bring that to people and in a language that they can understand um so for people who are wondering right now like who is stan and and why does Jesus matter to Stan? Does does Stan have a you know a changed life? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Had the privilege of you know Christian parents. I actually worked everything about what I did was Christian. My parents owned a chain of Christian retail bookstores. Remember those Carmens? One totally. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah, books and Bibles, and even uh, we we had films that we could rent to churches, and then it was in video. So uh, I went to Biola University and got into the family business, and have been involved in different Christian ministries ever since. Uh, this is this is the most recent. I've also been involved with publishing, and publishing to me, publishing the scriptures, publishing Christian books that help people in their growth. And here's the thing, Carmen, about about the chosen, what Come and See is doing is that not only do we want people to encounter Jesus, experience him, we want people to know what it means to follow Jesus. And isn't that the objective? You know, when Jesus um, ascended into heaven, he left the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, discipling all nations. Discipling is that activity that puts us into this followership, following Jesus, taking up our cross and following him. And I think we're seeing this embodied in the chosen where it shows that these People that decided that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the real deal. He is the one we've been waiting for. But then they entered into this relationship of followership. And so we are partnering in part of our uh, third part that I explained to you of of distribution. We're partnering with ministries globally, and we're just kind of getting going in this. Ministries like Crew, YouVersion, where you can actually go to the app and watch The Chosen as well. Uh, Bible Project, One Hope. Jesus.net, which is a, an international organization. These are these are ministries that are taking the chosen, developing materials to help people in their growth as followers of Jesus. And we're just excited about what this is doing and the, the results we already are seeing. And again, the language uh, makes a difference because if you can experience that in your language, you're going to have that more intimate connection to this authentic Jesus and what he's asking of us and what he did for us. Do you have a favorite episode of The Chosen? Oh, boy. Well, each season gets better. I'm not going to spoil it, but I'll tell you what. Episode one of season four is amazing. And I, I'll just say it's about John the Baptist. OK, we've been seeing through episodes of season three and even before that, Jesus, his cousin, uh, John the Baptist, uh, the son of Elizabeth and Zachariah. And so you're going to meet Elizabeth. You're going to meet Zachariah in this episode uh, as they do kind of a backstory, uh, which chosen sometimes does goes back to the beginning of the origin of Jesus is and and his birth and all of that. But you'll see that in the episode. So I think the previous favorite Carmen was the final episode of season three, where mm. Peter uh, walks on water and goes down at the same time. Um, Eden is going through her mikvah after having the miscarriage again. I'm spoiling it if people haven't seen it, but. Jesus, you know, they both come out of the water and Jesus grabs Peter and they both say, Peter says, don't let me go. Excuse me, Simon, don't let me go. And and Eden says, don't let him go. And uh, and also in season four, you're going to see Simon's name changed to Peter. And that's as much as I'll say, because (laughs) there's something that happens that causes Jesus to give him a new name. 
I want to, um, we have to take a very brief break. But when we come back, I want to talk with you about storytelling, the importance of visual storytelling um, today, why that matters so much. Like you, you made mention of like the Bible project that comes to mind as well in terms of like visual storytelling and, um, and the word of God. We no longer live in a culture where, you know, people think in terms of the written word and, you know, the organization of thought into, you know, into bullet points and all of that. We live in an image driven, um, culture in terms of how people access information and how they learn. Um, And so I want to talk with you about that. I want to talk with you not only about storytelling, but visual storytelling in particular. And then I would love to have a little bit of a different conversation with you. And that's a a conversation about legacy, because I do think that your witness and testimony, um, the household in which you were raised, like you are now passing along to a global generation of, um, of potential brothers and sisters in Christ, a gift that was really cultivated in your heart um, as a very young person in your home. And so can we have those two conversations when we come back? Absolutely. Look forward to it. Stan Jantz is here with us. He's the CEO of the Come and See Foundation. You can check it out comeandseefoundation.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. I got some good news for you today. Jesus Christ is the good gift of God to each and every person. We heard the proclamation of Christmas that there's this good news of great joy for all people. Well, guess what? That means you. Jesus is the good news. He is the gift of God given at Christmas. And maybe you're saying, I don't feel so good. I haven't really received this sense of good news. Well, we would invite you to wake up to the goodness of God with 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness. It's Susie Larson's brand new book. Our friends over at W Publishing gave us a hundred copies for Christmas to give away to you. So we'd invite you to enter to win yours now at myfaithradio.com. Wake up to the goodness of God, 40 days toward healing and wholeness, because Jesus really is the good news and the great joy for all people. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Stan Jantz is here with us. If you are thinking, hey, I recognize that name. Well, that's because he's the author of, I don't know, something like 50 books. But he's here with us today as CEO of the Come and See Foundation. Uh, You can check it out at comeandseefoundation.org. They are ensuring that everybody around the world um, has access to The Chosen so that current production continues that uh, it's translated into some 600 languages and then made accessible through all kinds of um, existing ministries that that have that kind of reach globally um, where people can access it right there on their phones. So something like 87% of people around the world actually do have a phone. Um, they may not have running water in their home, but they have a phone. And so the gospel uh, is going forth through digital media in really extraordinary ways. We know that here. We have listeners in 170 countries. So we know um, the power of digital media. And Stan is helping capitalize on that to get the gospel out there via, um, via the chosen. Stan, let's talk about not just the power of story, although let's talk about that. Let's talk about the power of visual storytelling. Absolutely. We are in a visual culture. And what is interesting is uh, the, the, the Bible has always adapted. You know, first it was an oral, right? 
where people would share their, you know, what they know about the Bible. The Bible was read. The Paul, letters of Paul were read to people. Then it became a print culture with the advent of the Gutenberg Press. Today, it's a visual culture. And this is how people get information. And I, what I love about it is that Jesus himself used visual imagery, right, to get across his points. They were called parables. And so he was the original storyteller and a great one at that. And so really what we're doing here is taking this. And I find it interesting, Carmen, you know, the uh, there are di- different generational, what are called gateway questions. Uh, and there's a book called True Story by James Chong that explains this. Uh, if you're a boomer, your gateway question, the thing you'll ask about something, you'll say, is it true? If you're a Gen X, you'll ask, is it real? If you're a millennial, the question that's most important to you about something, whether it's a cause or a show or whatever, is it good? So here's what's interesting. Gen Z, which is growing like crazy, this is their question. Is it beautiful? And what I love about The Chosen and why we are so thrilled to be a part of it is that the quality of the storytelling, visual storytelling that they put on film is so exceptional. And for me, that's what drew me in. I mean, I've seen a lot of Christian media in my career. And uh, let's face it, a lot of it, has, it could be better. And here was something that for me was an extraordinary uh, expression of this timeless story, but in such a high quality. So to your point about storytelling, storytelling is one thing, but is it quality? Is it good? Is it beautiful? And all those things that go together. And yes, is it true? All those things matter. It's just what do you lead with? And right now the culture is looking for beautiful storytelling. So that's for us is why the chosen we think is is so impactful. And to be able to have it, as you said, accessible is, is so key. Um, and that's and if- in, for me. And, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's just such a stark contrast to the media being produced with these gross, dystopian, horrific, dark Mm. characters and storylines. I mean, when you say that, you know, the question that Gen Z is asking is, is it beautiful? Wow, the way that some in Gen Z are maybe learning to define beauty is about as far from the beauty. The, the the true and the beautiful in terms of beauty as I could imagine. And so that's just really helpful. Like they they are seeking through their eyes to find something. Exactly. In fact, I'll, I'll encourage your listeners. There's a documentary that was done called Unfiltered. And you can go to YouTube mm-hmm. and just put YouTube, The Chosen Unfiltered. And it's about nine Gen Z adults that come in and watch The Chosen and they don't know what they're watching. They don't, they're, mm. it's a blind it's remarkable it's emotional to see the response uh to watching this thing they've never seen before and to see what in their lives what difference uh already it is making okay that is so cool unfiltered gen z reacts to the chosen um i will uh i will i'm gonna mark that and i'm gonna follow up on that as well that is awesome i i that's a year ago and i wasn't familiar with it so so there you go. I'm learning tons of new stuff from you, Stan. Um, I, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on heritage and legacy, um, yeah. because I think that when we talk about the, um, the responsibility of every generation of Christians to transmit the gospel to emerging generations, like we are, you know, we are passing along that which we have in turn also received. So you received this um, raised in a household where you know, this is what was believed and lived out in a beautiful way. And you are now ensuring its transmission to the next generation. Can you just talk with us a little bit about legacy and heritage? Thank you. It's, it's, uh, it is a privilege, and I'm very honored by it, humbled by it. But let me just say to your viewers, too, it can start with any, any, any generation. 
if you haven't had that legacy in your life and you were not raised in a Christian home, it starts with you. Uh, and this is where I think we have an opportunity to pass this on to our children and to those who are going to follow us. And the legacy is simply, you know, what do we do with what Jesus has done for us? And uh, I have a favorite verse. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It was my father's verse, and then he gave it to me. And that is, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro across the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him so that he may strengthen them. And I've always kind of seen that as God is looking for people to give assignments to, right? He's got something that he wants us to do. And he is so creative. He's going to use the gifts that we've all been given in order to expand that and to reach people for this Jesus that is so important to us and, and what, who he sent to the world to redeem a lost and broken world. So I would just encourage everyone, you, you, whether you've been a part of a multi-generational legacy like I have or you're just starting with you, this is so important. And I love the way you're focusing on this, Carmen. I think it's important to pass this on to our children and to be able to live this out, but also to tell those stories and to and to immerse in the scriptures you know that the chosen is is not the scriptures it's a tv show but it is driving people we're finding to read the bible and to find out did that really happen or did jesus really say that and to go in and, and search the scriptures and that's where they're going to encounter the living god uh, through the holy spirit as he guides them and, and to learn about and to follow and to incorporate into your life to receive this jesus that 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 has done everything for us so good. Um, Stan, we have a very vibrant um, community on our text line. Uh, and so Kara has texted in a question. Um, and she says, I'm curious um, if the movie that's coming out this Thursday, so February 1, it's um, it's it's the beginning episodes of um, season four of The Chosen. She's asking, would this be good for me to take an unbeliever with me who hasn't seen seasons one through three? Absolutely. And that's a great question, Kara. And what, it, what why I say that is you don't have to go to the beginning, episode one, season one, to catch up. You can start. No, in, in fact, in, if you do, it's a little slow. Yeah. So you, it takes, I actually it takes am a fan of jumping in here. Yeah. Yeah. And they do. I'll just say this. They have a little trailer at the very beginning that says what's happened so far in seasons one through three. So it gives you a little kind of taste of here's where we are, and then it opens up. But you, no, jump right in, and I think it's something that you then are motivated. Gosh, I think I'll go back and watch the others, which you can do for free, of course, and uh, catch that. So uh, jump right in, Kara, and invite your friends to do the same. And if they're not believers, it's so com- the story is so compelling and so real and so authentic. I think people are going to encounter something that they've never encountered before in, in this kind of media. Yeah, and be prepared for, Kara, be prepared for your friend to be astonished and have lots of questions like, who is that? And what is their story? And well, who is that? And what is their story? And um, is that true? Did that really happen? Is that so it's um, it's yeah, prepare to not just see um, to see it together, you know, plan to have coffee afterwards, because in all likelihood, they're going to be full of questions. In fact, if you go to YouTube and you watch unfiltered go to so you can just google unfiltered youtube the chosen like all of that together and you're gonna get that and you're gonna see like how did unbelievers respond to sitting in a theater um and not knowing in advance what they were going to be seeing and being exposed to um the ministry that you and i know as the chosen um it is changing lives and if you're listening right now uh and your life has been changed by the chosen 
um, the series, then I know you're going to be interested in not only making future productions possible, but also ensuring that other people around the world have access to that which has been so integral in um, the transformation you've experienced. So check out what's happening at comeandseefoundation.org. Stan Jantz, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. My pleasure. Thank you, Carmen. Yeah, it's just wonderful to have you here. All right. Um, I know you thought that me, uh, Carmen, live on the radio, like that was it for today, right? Because mornings with Carmen, you know, we've had our two hours together. But guess what? Guess what? From four to five central today, I'm going to be on afternoons with Bill Arnold with Than Bennett. Yeah, a little role reversal. I'm going to be the guest. Than is guest hosting. So the so the host is going to be the guest of a guest. Mm-hmm. That ought to be fascinating and interesting. So would you uh, would you join us? Little uh little time together this afternoon as well. Again, um, let's be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. Let's be um, praying for the gospel to go forth in ways that um, people can genuinely receive and respond to. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.